Okay, it's interesting when you have virtually no notice to speak, because what happens in those moments, other than abject fear and panic, is you, you dig and you find, well, what have you been saying to me, God? What is it you want to say today? And so I, I want to share with you, really, a prophetic word, and, and I don't quite know where it's going to go after that. I've got some notes, um, but I want to share a prophetic word with you. I had an encounter with God um, a few months ago, and I had this amazing vision, actually, and uh, I went into another place, and I don't know, maybe it'll help you. I'm going to describe this vision to you, and maybe you want to close your eyes and see if you can see it too, but in this vision, I saw a long table, and on the table, it was dressed in a crisp white cloth, and on the cloth uh, were these beautiful implements. I could see plates uh, made of gold, and I could see these goblets made of silver. And the most amazing thing, this cutlery was being used, and as it was being used, it flashed. There's like flashing, shimmering as the cutlery was being used. And on the table were these different kinds of foods. There was various meats there and vegetables. There was fruit there. It was absolutely stacked. It was a king's banqueting table. And literally, I felt like I was in the banqueting table, in the the banqueting house of the king that Solomon described where he says, and his banner over me was love. And in that place, it was just the most incredible sense of the love of God just being poured out. And with it came this incredible invitation, come, come and eat. This invitation to come and eat, to come and sit with the king and to enjoy all that was there. And that was the first part of the vision, and and it astounded me. It it stopped me in my tracks, and I I didn't want to leave that place. But then there was a second part to it, which I feel like I want to talk to you a bit about today, Uh, and it was was the smell of the place. I I haven't had a vision before where I've smelt something, but in this vision, I could smell this fragrance. It was the most incredible fragrance It smelt like flowers and it smelt like fruit, but it was neither of these. But And the headiness of the fragrance was a bit like when you've got pollen, you know, where there's a lot of pollen in the air and there's just like a heaviness in the air. It's just this incredible fragrance. But as I looked, I could see that it wasn't the smell of of, of flowers, it wasn't the smell of fruit, but actually what was going on is that new wine was being poured out in that place. And I couldn't see who was bringing in this new wine. I could just see these huge pots of new wine coming and going and coming in and being poured out lavishly. And it was poured out over the table, but it didn't stain the cloth. (laughs) It was being poured out on the table, but it didn't ruin the food. It was just being poured out. and And I just could sense that this was a place where the wine flowed freely. And in that atmosphere, in that place, in in that heavenly realm, I could sense the intoxication of the place. And I heard God say to me, he says, the joy is being poured out. The oil of joy for mourning is being poured out from this place. I don't know, does that stir you? Why don't you just take a drink right now? Just take a drink. There's wine being poured out in Jesus' name. Just take a drink of that wine. And as... uh, I was seeing this vision and, 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 uh, was hearing this invitation to come close to, 
eat and drink, I heard a cry because it was like this vision was center stage, if you can picture this. But coming from off stage somewhere, I don't know where it was, somewhere over there, I could hear this, this cry going out. And it cut across this beautiful vision. It cut across, it intruded into what I was seeing. And it was Mary's cry to Jesus from the wedding at Cana in John chapter 2, where she says, but they have no wine. Jesus, they have no wine. And it just cut right across. It's like the vision crumpled in front of me as I heard these words. And I stood with these words. They impacted me. They resonated around me. And the question came to me and, and won't leave me. How is it that they can have no wine when Jesus is here? How is it that they can have, what a tragedy to be in a place of celebration, to be in a place of the welcome of the king, and for there not to be wine being lavishly poured out? How can they be in that place? How can they run dry? I don't know if this fits with you. I mean, perhaps that's how you've been feeling a bit recently. I just feel like I'm running dry. I just feel like there's no joy. It's kind of gone. And I, I was just mulling over the psalm of David, you know, when he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Perhaps there's some restoring of joy that needs to come back into your heart. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Come and drink. Get filled up and don't leave until you're drunk. You've drunk. Because there's an outpouring of new wine for us. That's what I felt the Holy Spirit say. There's an outpouring, a fresh outpouring of power and joy. There's new wine for a new season of the Spirit, an abundance that will never run dry. That's what I felt God saying to me. That's what I want to share with you today. But as I've been musing over this word, and I keep coming back especially to that question, but they have no wine... I've been provoked by the story of the wedding of Cana. And I just want to take you through that story. And I've got some notes, but we're just going to see where we go. And uh, I'm just going to read you a, a couple of lines, and then I'm going to comment on it, and then we're going to go, go through it a bit further. And I believe at the end, there'll just be an invitation to come and drink, to come and receive the outpouring of joy that God wants to bring. And it may be, even before I get there, that God just breaks in. His kingdom will come and joy will break out. And if that happens, that's okay with me. Because my notes aren't that great anyway. (laughs) But I, I genuinely want heaven to break in on us today. That's my heart. That's my prayer. So let's just look at John chapter 2. You can turn to it if you like. I haven't got any... Uh, PowerPoint today, but if you just go back old-fashioned style and open your Bible uh, and turn to John chapter 2, I just want to take you through that chapter. It's verses 1 to 11 that the story is in. And this is the first bit, verses 1 to 3, there you go. Verses 1 to 3, it was on the third day. It was on the third day of the wedding that took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. They have no more wine. 
I mean, it's the tragic cry of Mary's heart, isn't it? In that context, in that place, in a wedding celebration scene that they have run out of wine. They've run out, they've run dry. You know, the party had been going on for three days. It probably had another two at least to go. I mean, those people knew how to party, you know. They know how to do weddings. And they, they had two left, two, at least two more days, but they'd run dry. They had nothing left. And it was a disaster. It was a shame on the host. It was a disgrace. I mean, what a terrible thing to happen in a place of celebration that you run out of wine. Imagine going to a party and there's nothing to drink. There's nothing to eat. And I want to suggest to you, And in a place where Jesus is present, that it is a tragedy. It's a tragedy to have no wine to drink. To live in that kind of place. Thank you, Jesus. Woo! Come on, just take a drink then. Let's just... Just take a drink. Just allow the Holy Spirit to come. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Whoa. (laughs) Isn't it funny that we laugh when there's joy? And we laugh when England scores. It's tragedy to be in a place where there is no joy, where there's no wine of the Spirit. But so many Christians are like that, you know. So many Christians, they've run out of wine. They no longer drink. They lose their joy. There's no spark. There's no passion. Everything's got so serious. Have you noticed sometimes in church, uh, people will turn up and they have a great chat, having a really nice time talking with one another, laughter and fun going on, and then, oh, it's the meeting. Where's the joy go? Where does the celebration go? There's no wine. I don't know. I I long for that. I want that. I want to be in that place of celebration, perpetual celebration where the kingdom of God breaks out. Not just at church on a Sunday, but you take it to work on Monday. Wouldn't that be amazing? To take it into our communities. You know, there's no hope. In the world today, there's no joy, there's no, there's no celebration. It's dismal out there in places. There's such a dismalness. But in the kingdom of God, there is joy. In his presence, it says, there is fullness of joy. So why are we so serious all the time? So many people have got so serious and they're merely just going through the motions. And it's not just about individual Christians. You know, there are whole churches like this. You know, they start out so well, but then after a while they settle a bit. And, and they put on a good show. And, and, so, and the show is so good that's put on that, that many people there don't even realize that they've run out of wine. Don't even realize it. Because everything looks so great. It's tragic. It's tragic. Come more, Lord. But Mary, you see, she wasn't having it. (laughs) Mary, she wasn't going to be in a place. Should we just keep going? 
Does this bother you? Good. Okay. (laughs) Mary was not having it. She says, I am not going to a church where they're miserable and grumpy all the time. I'm certainly not going to a wedding where we're meant to be celebrating and everybody's miserable and whining. I want wine. I want the wine to be poured out. And so when the wine was gone, she turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, they haven't got any more wine. They've not got anyone. It's not a prayer. It's not a request. It's not even a question. It's a, it's a statement. Jesus, there's no wine in this place. There's no wine. This is not good enough. This is, this is a poor show. And Jesus' response to Mary is, well, what's that to do with me? What's that to do with me? Why do you involve me? Why, why are you bothering me about it? It's not even my party, Jesus said. See, for several days already, they've been getting on quite fine without him. They've been drinking their own resources. They brought enough wine. They, they were getting through three days. They didn't need Jesus to provide anything. They were happy enough with what they had. Look, some of them, them were already drunk because they've been at it for three days. Why did they need any more wine? And you know, most of them weren't even aware that they'd run out of wine at that wedding party. They were, they were happy. But you see, Mary knew that no wine in that place that had sustained them so far was not enough for what's to come. It's not enough to live on yesterday's blessing. It's not enough to live on yesterday's bread. We need it new every morning. We need a touch of the Holy Spirit. We need fresh baptisms of the Holy Spirit. We need to live in a perpetual state of dependence on the Holy Spirit because otherwise we end up with nothing but dead religion. Mary wasn't having it. You know, I, I grew up in a time where... Church was learning a new way to worship. You know, I grew up in the 1970s, and I don't look that old, but we were learning a new way of worship, choruses, scripture in song, these kind of songs, they were fantastic. And some of them, you know, when we sing them again, there's some incredible power in them, still today. But my question is, have we got so reliant on the music and singing Would we even notice if there was no wine? Have we got so dependent on our worship teams? Sometimes I wonder if we should just not have any musical accompaniment and see what happens. I was speaking at a conference a little while ago, and I said I don't want any music for the response time because I don't want to affect the atmosphere, I just want the spirit to come. And I was criticized for it. <laughs> you, you can't do it without music. I said, oh, <laughs> then we have a problem. <laughs> There's no wine. Sometimes I worry. When I go to some of these big events, I said, do, do, do we have any wine or is it just a pretty good substitute? Sorry if that offends you. I love worship. I love music. I'm a musician myself, but I'm also aware of the power of it. 
And Jesus' hesitation here wasn't about his willingness to provide the wine, but about the time he was in. He said, it's not my time yet. What do you suppose that meant? It's not my time yet. The passage doesn't actually explain it, but I'm pretty sure when you put the pieces of the puzzle together, it was the third day. It was at a wedding. And all the wine had been poured out that Jesus' mind was somewhere else. <laughs> Jesus' mind was somewhere else. What, the wine, of course, is a metaphor that runs through the Bible. It's about a covenant. It's about a new covenant. Jesus uses the, 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 the metaphor again, doesn't he, when he breaks bread later on and drinks wine with his disciples and he says, he, he took the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He said, this is it. He says, this is what the wine is. It's the poured out blood of the new covenant. Jesus foresaw, even in, at that moment, I believe, his blood poured out for a new covenant between God and man through his death on the cross. This was not his time. You know, his ministry had barely started. He got a few disciples to follow him, but no miracles had happened yet. But Mary, I love this. I love Mary. It doesn't even use her name in this passage. Did you notice that? His mother. <laughs> Somehow it was his mother this time. It wasn't just Mary, it was mum saying, Jesus, you need to do something about this. This is embarrassing. (laughs) She wasn't having it. Jesus, we can't be in this place with no wine. He turns, she turns to his servants and she says, look, you do whatever he says. You do whatever he says. There are a couple of things here. I'm curious, how did she know? How did she know that Jesus could turn the water into wine? How did she know? I've just been wondering about this. Had he been practicing at home, you know? You know, maybe there were different stages and different versions of what he was trying to produce. Maybe there's a bit of grape juice here that wasn't so good. Maybe there was a bit of a mixture here. And maybe there was the fine wine here. Different pots and pans all over the house and maybe that one had a bit of vinegar in. That wasn't so good, Jesus. You need to go and have another go. And you can just imagine, you know, what must it have been like in the house? You can just imagine one of his brothers going in and going in to brush his teeth, turning on the tap and says, Mum, he's done it again. This time I think it's whiskey. <laughs> we don't know how she knew. But here's the other thing. In that moment, she gave the servants the key to miracles. (laughs) She gave the servants the key to miracles. She said, just do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Don't weigh it too much. Just obey him. Those are some of the greatest breakthroughs in our lives is when we will do just what he tells us to do. You know, just a few weeks ago, God told me I needed to give away some money. I can't afford to give away that money. I gave it away. Instant obedience. And then I told Alison afterwards. (laughs) But you know what? God has more than made up for it. He doesn't do it every time, but for some reason he did. It unlocked something. Instant obedience. If you want a miracle, do what he tells you to do. 
And if you don't know what he's telling you to do, then that's where you're at. You need to find out. What is it that you are telling me to do, Jesus? I mean, do you know what Jesus is telling you to do today? And what are you doing about that? It's basic discipleship 101. What is he telling you to do? And you need to do that. And it was exactly the model that Jesus showed us when he says, I only do the things that I see the Father doing. That's the secret to his success. He says, I only do what I... I see the Father doing. So Jesus turned his attention to these six stone water pots. In verse 6 there he says, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to his servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Now there are these six jars, and they probably hold around about 50 gallons no, 30 gallons. So if you imagine um, a barrel, you know one of those big barrels that are about this high and about this round? That's the size of, there's some actually in the pub just down the bottom there. So there's your excuse, go and have a look at it. Uh, there's some barrels out the front. That's the sort of size of the barrels that we're talking about, these jars. And there was 150 gallons in total in these, in these six jars. That's a lot of wine, you know? That's a lot of wine. And, and these, and these, uh, these barrels were filled with water and were used for ceremonial washing. So people washed themselves in them. And they'd been doing so already for three days. And a lot of them had been drunk, you know? So there's hands and feet in there. There's, Goodness knows what else in there, but it wasn't very nice, I'm sure. And do you know what Jesus says? He says, those barrels full of dirty water, get some clean water and fill them right to the top. Pour in clean water. Pour in clean water. All of these barrels, I don't know how much pouring had to go on, but that was going on. The pouring in of clean water. And you know what happens if you pour clean water into dirty water? Well, it waters it down, but the scum comes to the top. (laughs) It all comes to the top. I don't know. I don't know about you, but there's something about that. There's something about that that sounds like something else to me. It kind of makes sense to me. I mean, isn't that a picture uh, of what God does. And I don't want to stretch the metaphor too far, but isn't that a great picture of what God does? These six stone water pots, six often represents man, the heart of man, filled with dirty water, and then all our vain attempts to purify ourselves. Doesn't that sound like you and me? Jesus goes to these pots. I, it may be just me, but as I read this miracle, I can't help thinking of that passage in Ezekiel 36. You know, it says this, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. <laughs> I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all your idols. Isn't that what Jesus has done for us? He's forgiven us every sin, and there's no condemnation for anyone now who are in Christ I will make you clean. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit. I will remove from you your heart of stone. These stone pots have been moved. And I'll put in you a heart of flesh. And he says, and I will put my spirit in you and move you 
from the inside out. (laughs) I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep on my laws. And I want to suggest to you this morning that this miracle is a prophetic picture of what the new covenant looks like. It's a prophetic picture. This miracle of salvation, the new birth that transforms our hearts. And the power of the Spirit poured in to us and out through us. Well, it's just like the best wine. That's what it's like. It's like the best wine. I mean, that spirit, the spirit is the promise of the new covenant. It's the seal of the new covenant. And do you remember what happened when the spirit came on the day of Pentecost and what happened to those who received it? Yes, in Acts 2, we see the disciples drunk of this new wine of the spirit. And to the people around them at the time, they looked an awful lot like those guests at the wedding had already been drinking for three days. Intoxicated. Intoxicated. When was the last time you got intoxicated with the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you were that full? Went to South Africa a few years ago and we did a a conference, Julian Adams. It slightly offended me, I've got to say, I've got to be honest. He says, right, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to pray until you all get drunk and then you're going to go out and you won't have any fear. Because I thought, well, that seems a bit disrespectful, you know. But we did it. We prayed until we got filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're so full of the Holy Spirit, we're intoxicated. I wasn't afraid of anything after that. Go out and pray for the sick. Go out and cast out a demon. Go out and do this, do that. Full of the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you got drunk? Intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 says, he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he didn't realize where it had come from. Though the servants who'd drawn the water knew, then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine of the guests are drunk. But you have saved the best until now the best oh my goodness i mean there's so much in what that guy says that you could just unpack there's so much that reveals so much about the character of god just in his response his generosity just think about that 150 liters of wine free of charge from god do you know how generous he is what an abundance of provision there was these five big barrels don't over-spiritualize it for a moment. Just think about it. Five huge barrels of perfect wine. I mean, I'm pretty excited about that. I mean, that is prosperity there, right there. Five barrels of wine. Six barrels of wine. His generosity. Secondly, his lack of judgmentalism. You know, Jesus could have said, I think they've had quite enough, don't you? They've already had a few too many, and I've put them in my black book. I'm not going to give them any more. Nope, that's it. They can live on the dirty water. (laughs) Jesus doesn't do that. Why? Jesus doesn't do that. Why? I don't know the answer. You meet some Christians, though, and you think it was the other way around. 
Whether Jesus turned the wine into dirty water or at least lemon juice. Didn't turn it into wine, it was lemon juice or it was vinegar. Something that makes your face look like yours, you know? (laughs) There's just no joy there. It's all rules. It's all regulations. It's all condemnation. Jesus just wasn't like that. Give the drunk people the best wine. Leave it with you. Thirdly is lack of quality. I mean, 150 liters of the best wine. You know, God does everything well. Did you know that God likes quality? That he doesn't have a poverty spirit? He gives them the best. Maybe I would have gone down to Aldi and got a couple of their cheap boxes, you know. Something all right, you know. You wouldn't want to have it in your own house, but you take it to somebody else's, that kind of thing. (laughs) Is it just me? No. (laughs) He gives them the best quality. Do you know, it says in 1 Corinthians, Paul's testimony is this. What no eye has seen, what no eye has heard, what no human mind has conceived. Try and think of what that might be. You can't. You can't conceive it. That's what God has prepared for those who love them. Think of the greatest, the best, the most wonderful thing that you can think of. No, not that, even better. That's how good he is. That's how good God is. That's how good he is. You can get excited any moment. His grace to the servants whose fault it probably was for not ordering enough wine in the first place. Isn't that so kind? Isn't he kind? Did you know that Jesus is kind? And his honouring of the bridegroom who didn't deserve the compliment at all that he got from the master. He said, you're amazing. You bring out the best wine. And he just says, I don't know where it came from. But he doesn't say that. Did you notice? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's kind of what we're like around here. The honouring of the bridegroom. And these things say so much about him. You could preach sermons just on those attributes. but And many of us may have missed some of those attributes. But probably the most significant thing the passage reveals, in my mind anyway, is about Jesus' assurance that the best is now. The best is now. Today is your day of salvation. That's what it says also. Today, the best has been kept till last. The best is now. There's more. Did you know there is more that we've hardly seen anything yet? There's more. It's not even entered into our hearts. That the river gets deeper the further we go. That the wine gets better the more that we drink. That's contrary, isn't it? That's contrary to the world. That your early experiences of the Spirit are not the best. You know, you say, oh, the good old days. No, that's the wrong way around. It gets better as you go further. Your early experiences of the Spirit were just an indicator of the amazingness of what's to come. We should be more excited about Jesus now than we were that first day when we hardly knew a thing. 
We were happy then just that our sins were forgiven. What can we be happy about now that we have relationship, that we have a God who speaks to us, that he comes upon us, that he moves amongst us, that he touches us, that he loves us, the revelation of his love. That's even better. It's even better. The more you go on, the better it gets. I know God now more than I ever did when I first got to know him as a Christian at four years old. I hardly knew anything. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. The best is today, today, today. Hallelujah. I wish you were Pentecostal. Whoa, come on. There's more. There's more. There's more. There's more. Do you know how big God is? Do you know how generous he is? Do you know how merciful he is? Do you know how wonderful he is? Do you know how loving he is? There's more. There's more. There's more. Oh, but I'm happy with this. No, I want more. It's okay not to be satisfied, but to be satisfied. There's more. When did you last drink? Are you thirsty? And what are you living off? What are you living off? You know, bread goes mouldy when it's made properly the day after. I loved what Heidi Baker brought to us at the conference. There's fresh bread in the house. Can you smell the aroma? The aroma of fresh bread. Do you want more? You know, it is not an option when Jesus is in the house to be dry. There's not an option in our lives when Jesus is in our life that we run out of wine. It's just not an option. It's a decision that you and I take. But it's not an option. Mary went and said, Jesus, there's no wine. He turned the water into wine. I want to ask you to do that with me right now, right where you are. Why don't you just stand with me? Some of you just need a good laugh, honestly. I know there's some tough stuff going on around the place, but joy isn't dependent on circumstances. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is based on and conditional on happenings. But we're talking about the spirit of joy which comes from heaven in his presence is fullness of joy. Holy Spirit, will you just come? And will you pour out wine amongst us right now? I pray, Lord, that some of us would just get a bit happy today. Lord, would you just make a few of us just a bit happy? We just speak to any heaviness on spirits right now and say, in Jesus' name, be free. Be lifted. Be lifted high. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just come and lift some hearts today, we pray. Lord Jesus, we just come and release joy amongst us in Jesus' name. We, Lord, we ask you that we would get intoxicated. That's the polite word, Jesus. I mean, we want to be accused of being drunk as we leave this place, just like the disciples were on the day of Pentecost. Lord, with your spirit is so intoxicating, your joy is so magnificent, it bubbles over. And Lord, as we go out from here, we want to be happy Christians. Lord, we want to be happy 
happy Christians going out into the world, happy Christians going out into the workplace. We've got the reason to be happy like nobody else. You've forgiven us. You've set us free. We're not guilty anymore. We've got guaranteed salvation. We've got a place in heaven for eternity. Lord, that's plenty to be happy about. Lord, restore to us the joy of our salvation. Don't take your spirit away from us. Give it to us more, Lord. We want more. We need more. We long for more. More, Lord. We ask you for the outpouring that you promised in the prophetic word. We ask you, Lord, that you pour out wine all over us. We pray, Lord, we'd even smell of it as we leave this place. Smell of the fragrance of heaven in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Freedom. Freedom. Freedom, Lord. We want more. We want more, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.